We're continuing on in our series in the Beatitudes, looking at the fifth Beatitude. And what I love about the Beatitudes is it communicates to me that, that God is very interested in who you and I are becoming. God cares about who you are. I was reminded of this over the last few weeks. Uh, my, my almost two-year-old daughter is always asking me to read this book for her about Hermie the Caterpillar. And Hermie the Caterpillar is a story written by uh, Max Licato, and it's about this caterpillar who looks at the world around him, and he sees an ant who's really strong, carrying a great weight. He sees a snail who has a shell on his back that's really functional and, and really cool, and it just seems like the, the snail has all the right stuff. And he sees a ladybug who is beautiful and attractive to all the other bugs around it. And Hermie keeps coming to God and he says, God, why did you make me so common? Why didn't you make me like the ant or the snail or the, or the, the ladybug? And every time Hermie prays, God answers back to him, don't worry, Hermie, I'm not finished with you yet. And as you can guess, a story about a caterpillar ends with Hermie becoming a butterfly. And when I read the Beatitudes, I, I see that, that God is interested in, in us not staying where we are at. But he's doing a work on our hearts. He's giving us a heart like his. And as we dive into the fifth beatitude, um, we are transitioning in the flow of the beatitudes. If you've been following along with us, uh, we've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And at this point in the Beatitudes, we've, up to this point, we've been dealing with attributes of a person that involve emptying. You know, if you imagine a garden being tilled, um, a, a shovel working in the soil, pulling up what's there, that's kind of what these Beatitudes have been about, haven't they? There's a bit of pain there. This idea of mourning, this idea of emptying yourself. This picture of radical humility, this, this idea of being so hungry for something and chasing after something, longing for it. They're kind of these attributes that speak to emptying. But as we look at the following five, the tone of these attributes change and we go from emptying or clearing the soil to the fruit that emerges as the attributes of being poor in spirit, of, of being someone who mourns, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, of being someone who is meek, the fruit of those attributes begins to emerge. Friends, God is interested in you, who you are becoming. God is interested in, in you being like him. And the first element that Jesus speaks to in our beatitude this morning is this, this attribute of being merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Again, our, our working definition for the word blessed, authentic, real, deeply fulfilled, in touch with the fruitfulness of God, are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. How are you with other people? How do you respond when someone crosses you or offends you? Have you ever been offended by someone? Have you ever been put down by a colleague or a friend? 
Have you ever been cut off in traffic? Have you ever been scrolling through social media and you, you come across a post that you just find so offensive? Have you ever been offended by a family member or a spouse? Have you ever asked someone to do something and, and they openly defy you, maybe in front of others? What do you do when these things happen? How do you respond? Are you merciful? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that's what we're going to dive into this morning. And I think at the core of this beatitude, we see that we are blessed as our relationship with God, ourselves, and others are marked with mercy. Now, with this beatitude, I'd like to start by looking at why we are blessed before jumping into being merciful. We are blessed as we receive God's mercy. We are blessed as we receive God's mercy. A working definition of merciful, you could say, is that mercy is is being generous in doing deeds of deliverance. Mercy is using power and influence, means to give or do for others what they cannot do for themselves. Being merciful is about engaging in an action. To say that you are merciful is to say that you are doing something. I I am being merciful. I am engaged in an act of mercy. And what it is, is is finding or coming across a situation or a circumstance where someone is unable to do something for themselves. Someone is trapped. Someone is in bondage. Someone is in pain or turmoil. Or there's something going on in their world where they can't do anything about it. And mercy is the act of reaching into that situation and doing for them what they cannot do for themselves. The Christian author Brennan Manning uh, wrote a fantastic book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to to pick it up. Um, It's full of amazing stories of God's grace. And one of those stories I want to share with you this morning A story is told of Fiorello LaGuardia. Fiorello, I just butchered that name, and now I can't say it, so I'm going to skip over. (laughs) A story is told about LaGuardia, who when he was mayor in New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II, uh, he was a colorful character who used to ride the New York City fire trucks, take entire orphanages to baseball games, and whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on the radio and read Sunday comics to the kids. One bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at night court that served the poorest ward of the city, and LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. And he said to the mayor, It's a bad neighborhood, your honor. The man told the mayor, She has to be punished to teach the other people around here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. 
But even as he pronounced his sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket and he extracted a bill and tossed it into his hat, saying to them, here is the $10 fine for which I now remit. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being collected by a red-faced grocery store owner, while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. That's quite a story. But friends, that is mercy in action. The mayor of New York City doing for someone that what they could not do for themselves. In Matthew chapter 9, 27, verse 27, Jesus is walking along and these blind men call out to him. And they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They cry out for mercy. Now, Jesus didn't have to help them. He didn't have to stop. But he does. And he heals them. Jesus heals them, doing for them what they could never do for themselves. Friends, mercy is what God has given to us. We have received an amazing amount of mercy, have we not? If we look at the book of Romans, familiar passages, chapter 3, uh, verse 23. We read that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. Paul goes on in Romans in in chapter 6 to say, what's the consequence of having sinned? Of having made these mistakes? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, when we sit in these realities that you and I are in such a great need for God's mercy, we need to rejoice that His mercy has been given to us. Because only a chapter later, in Romans chapter 8, we read that There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's going on here? Well, God has done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. God has done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Just think about your life this past week, maybe even this morning, when was the last time you did something or thought something or desired something that that you know that you shouldn't have? When was the last time you sinned? This past week? Think about the past month, the past year. Think about the worst thing that you have ever done. 
And God's mercy comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And God looks at us in our sin and our mess. He looks at us saying, the penalty's death. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he gives us his mercy. We are blessed as we receive this mercy. And to go back to the beginning of this beatitude, we are blessed as we extend God's mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those, if we were to rephrase it, blessed are those who, like God, offer compassion in action, forgiveness, healing, and aid to those who are in need. Blessed are those who, like God, offer compassion in action, forgiveness, healing, and aid to those who are in need. I love that. You see, friends, as God is merciful to us, we need to be merciful to others. When we consider the great grace and mercy that God has poured out over our lives, how can we not be merciful to other people? Now, the wording of this beatitude may make us think that God's mercy is conditional. This whole idea that the merciful receive mercy. So our, us receiving mercy um, is dependent on God giving mercy to us. Um, and while some commentators would agree with, with that concept, uh, I don't think that's totally what's going on here. Um, I think that God has, has so much grace for us. But here, here what I think is happening. I think it's more about our ability to receive mercy than it is about God withholding mercy. This beatitude is about us receiving mercy rather than God withholding it. Because here's the thing. When we're dealing with all this sin and, and all this stuff in our lives that we know isn't right, if you're like me, your, your temptation is that you want to hide from God. You, you want to run from God. You want to do everything in your own power to fix yourself, to make yourself right before God. But in doing that, you actually end up resisting the mercy of God. God's standing there saying, I have mercy for you. I have grace for you. Just come to me. And we're over here going, oh God, I, I can do it. I can fix it. I can make it right. And God's saying, no, you can't. But here's the problem. When you and I resist the mercy of God, thinking that we can somehow fix ourselves, we end up looking at all the people around us thinking that they need to fix themselves too. If we're re refusing God's mercy, suddenly we're refusing to give mercy. If we're thinking that somehow we can be right before God on our own merits and our own strength, we're going to begin to look at those around us and say, well, you should figure it out too. You should make it right too. And we miss the mercy and the grace that God has for us. Not only this, but I believe that being someone who is not merciful is actually a reversal of the previous attributes that we've already covered in the Beatitudes. When we read about being a person who's poor in spirit, 
being someone who mourns the sin that is going on in, in their own lives and in the world around them, when we read about being meek and humble, when we, we read about attributes of hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, if we take on those characteristics the way that I believe God is calling us to, friends, I don't think we will be able to resist being merciful to those around us because we will have so deeply received the mercy that God has for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I want to talk about two ways that we can extend mercy. And friends, we could talk about this stuff for weeks, so please forgive me. It, it will be a little bit of a reduction of this huge, massive topic. But the first I want to talk about is that we are merciful as we choose to forgive others. We are merciful as we choose to forgive others. Throughout the whole of Scripture, God desires that you and I would be in right relationship with other people. And I don't think that it's a coincidence when we read in Matthew chapter 5 that after discussing becoming this person who's poor in spirit, becoming this person who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you, you know, you, you'd think that the next beatitude would be something like blessed are the spiritual or, or blessed are the people who've really got it in with God or, or blessed are the pers- is the person who has a great devotional life. <laughs> but that's not where Jesus goes. Instead, he looks at the way we interact with those around us. He, he talks about us having right relationships with other people and where does he start? With mercy. How do we extend mercy? Well, we need to be people who forgive. We need to be people who forgive. And while you and I, we cannot control the actions of other people, we can control and choose what, those, what, what to do with our own hearts in the midst of these relationships. Forgiveness is us letting go of this sense that, that, this, that the people who've wronged us have to pay for us to feel okay. Forgiveness is is us surrendering the justice that we believe needs to be enacted. Forgiveness is us taking them off our hook of judgment and resentment and bitterness and putting them on God's hook. Forgiveness is us choosing to avoid a cycle of violence choosing to avoid a cycle of getting even. Now, forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did was okay. Forgiveness is not saying that that the other person somehow um, should not be punished for what they did. And forgiveness also is not saying that you and that person should now be best friends. (laughs) That's not what forgiveness is. Rather, forgiveness is saying you know, I have all this stuff against you, but I'm going to let it go and give it to God. What's happening in the States and, and what has happened to George Floyd is absolutely deplorable. And while we cannot control the actions of a police officer, we cannot control an individual's racist acts, we cannot control those who choose to hate, we cannot control riots or the destruction of property, but we can choose what we do. 
And friends, we can choose to be and exemplify mercy. We can choose to embody the mercy of God in our world. We can choose to forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. The reality is that forgiveness does a greater work in our hearts than it does in the other person. And when we choose not to forgive, when we choose not to be merciful, one of my favorite quotes is that that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. It's not good. It doesn't end well for us to be unforgiving. Well, September 6th, 2018, an off-duty Texas police officer shot and killed a 26-year-old man named Botham Jean. This police officer had entered the wrong apartment. And during the trial, Botham Jean's younger brother chose to extend her mercy. The video of this is available on YouTube, but um, I, I typed up for us the transcript of what Botham's younger brother said. He said, if you are truly sorry, I know that I can say for myself that I forgive you. And I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you like I love anyone else. I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die. I personally want the best for you. I wasn't ever going to say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because that is what Botham would want for you. And the best, the best would be that you would give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think you giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. And if you're watching the video, at this point, this young man looks at the judge and he says that, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? And you can watch the two of them embrace. That young man extended that police officer a tremendous amount of mercy. And I believe that young man understood that God had given him so much mercy. And he wanted to extend it to this police officer. And we could say that this young man had every right to be bitter, every right to be angry, every right to be frustrated. But instead, he gave all that over to God. And he chose to forgive. Secondly, we extend mercy as we participate in helping others. Remember, blessed are those who, like God, offer compassion and action, forgiveness, healing, and aid to those in need. As we go about our lives, we need to look and listen for opportunities where we can offer compassion and action, forgiveness, healing and aid to those in need. Perhaps we do something like volunteer with a ministry like Hope Mission or the Mustard Seed, working to help others who get up out of situations in a way that they couldn't do on their own. Maybe in the midst of our workplaces, our schools, and our families, 
looking for opportunities to exemplify forgiveness. But something I know for sure is that looking for these things requires us to slow down and listen. Listen for God's invitation for you to get involved in being an agent of mercy. Friends, God has been so merciful to us. How can we not be merciful towards others? This morning, I want you to consider a few questions. Who is someone in your life who, from who you have been withholding mercy? Who is someone in your life who you've been withholding mercy from? Maybe it's a coworker, a friend. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your spouse. But who is it from whom you have withheld mercy? Who is someone you know of that you could extend mercy to? Again, who is someone in, in your world that you know is in a situation where they just can't seem to get it out of it on their own? Consider what help you could offer. And lastly, what is keeping you from being merciful? Is it resentment? Bitterness? Give those things over to God. Well, this morning we come to communion. And I trust that in your homes you've taken a chance to prepare something. And we often will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to do that now. But we don't usually read the beginning part of what Paul is getting at. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is actually rebuking the church in Corinth. For what? For not being merciful with one another. And he actually tells them that when they, when they don't extend mercy to one another, they aren't actually taking communion in the right way. This is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. And one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend this? Commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul is stressing to the church that they need to get their relationships in priority. That they need to be merciful to one another. In this particular instance, people were arriving at church at different times and the poorest would arrive the, the latest. And by the time they got there, there was nothing there for them to eat. Paul's saying, no. You need to wait. He goes on later in, in chapter 11 that we need to let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. That we need to consider, are we being merciful? So friends, I, I encourage you to take these elements, communion, the bread and the cup. I'm just going to give us just a minute of silence.
Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there someone in your life from whom you have been withholding mercy? And with the elements in hand, I just encourage you to open your hands before God to forgive those people. Father God, as names and faces run across our minds, I ask by this power of your Spirit that you would help us to forgive. That you would help us to be people who extend your mercy. What an amazing picture of mercy we have in communion. What an amazing picture. A reminder to us of God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I encourage you to eat now the, the bread of the Lord's Supper. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's now together drink this cup of mercy. Father God, we praise you for the mercy that you have given to us. And Lord, may we be a people who extend that mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen.